Hello and welcome to Harvest Church Podcast. Harvest Church is based in sunny Durban, South Africa. We are a family of believers who are passionate about Jesus. We really hope this message inspires you today. Good morning. As you've heard, my name is Marilyn. I am a volunteer here at this church, and I'm part of the leadership team, which involves taking up the spot on the pulpit. What surprises me over and over again is that they keep inviting me back. Thank you for coming this morning. This morning, the title is Changing Your Ending, and I'm going to be speaking from Psalm 51, which is a very unusual passage for me to preach on on a Sunday. But Psalm 51 speaks not only to the human condition of the brokenness, but mostly Psalm 51 speaks to the human experience of complete transformation. And this is a Psalm of David And it's an intimate moment where we as readers are invited into David's experience with God. And this is a prayer of his to God. In it, he experiences the deep anguish of his sin with Bathsheba. And simultaneous to that, he encounters the overwhelming love of God. If your sin does not point you to an encounter with the overpowering love of God, you are missing out on the whole essence of the cross. You see, the forgiveness of sin is not dependent on our human perception of the size of our sin, the depth of the sin, nor the longevity of the sin. But forgiveness is dependent on the size, the depth, and longevity of Jesus' overwhelming love for you and his death on the cross. And today, I want you to know that because of that, God can change your ending this morning. Now to give you a little bit of context on the scripture, in case you are feeling that David is a man that is beyond you. David was the second king of Israel And the Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. It says that twice about David. And David sinned with a woman called Bathsheba. Let me just say it quite plainly. He slept with her and she got pregnant. And Bathsheba just happened to be the wife of one of David's soldiers in his army that was fighting for him. So just picture the significance of this. You've got a king of Israel. You've got the wife of a soldier who's fighting his battles, and he chooses to sleep with her. And then he goes into the cover-up of all cover-ups, and he tries to cover up his sin. Read about it in 2 Samuel. It is a phenomenal story that will make any series look tame in comparison. But one day, the prophet of God comes to visit Nathan. Now, I personally think that this visit was a gift from God because God is called the God of truth. He is truth. And God loves honest relationships with his children. And Nathan confronts David in the confrontation of all confrontations. How I wish I had Nathan's skills to confront like that. 
And David realizes the depth of his sin, the size of his sin, and the longevity of his sin. And we don't know how long it has been. Some scholars suggest that it's probably been about a year that David has been sitting with this. And for the sake of time, I've just included excerpts from Psalm 51. But if you like to go deeper, I encourage you to read the Psalm this week. It's important to keep in mind that as you read, you will see several links that are associated with the cross. And you need to remember that this Psalm was written before Jesus died on the cross. Jesus died on the cross so that you have a clean heart. And if you are a believer today, you already have a clean heart. You have a steadfast spirit within you and his spirit is never removed from you. But of course, David was old covenant, so he didn't have that. So please keep that in mind as we read the Psalm. And I pray this morning that if you get anything out of this, that you will have an encounter with the love of Jesus. Because the only way any ending can change this morning, any transformation can occur, is with an encounter with the love, the grace, and the mercy of Jesus. So David writes, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. God has unfailing love for you this morning. According to your great compassion, you as an individual, God looks at you and he loves you with great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. As a believer, your transgressions have been blotted out already. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sins. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight and you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Create in me a pure heart Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. If you are a believer this morning, you have not been cast from his presence. No matter what you have done, your heavenly father will hunt you down. And just like the father of the prodigal son that waited at the gate of his house for the day that his son would return home, God wants you to return home this morning. No matter what you have done, God can change your ending. Amen. So my personal experience is that I have a new heart and I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me and I have a new identity. But the problem is this last week, I had many moments of a mistaken identity. Is there anybody in this room that has lived perfectly for seven days, 24 hours a day in this last week in your perfect identity of your new heart and the presence of the Holy Spirit? Okay, I'm in a good room then. Why is this? So I had a chat with Julian Adams about it. You all know him. And I love the way he explains it. He says it like this. The queen was born the queen and she had to learn how to be a queen. 
This came about by the renewing of her mind, changing the way she thinks, and learning how to behave according to her new identity as a queen. In other words, as a believer, you have your new identity, and there is a process of us learning to live in this identity. David goes on to write, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Guys, if you're saved, you have joy. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me, for you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not to take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise. I have the unique privilege of having a job where I literally watch people change their endings. There is a quote from an unknown author, it's attributed to C.S. Lewis, but there's doubt on whether he said it. If you know something good, just say C.S. Lewis said it and you look intelligent. It says this, you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. And Psalm 51 is a prayer of repentance, and repentance changes our endings. In Acts 3.19, Peter wrote these words, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Now, it's interesting that when you look at the Greek word for repentance, is a, a word called metanoia, and it means this, a change of mind. Joseph Prince asks this question and answers it himself. He says, why is changing your mind so important? Simply because right believing always leads to right living. Dallas Willard explains this this way, and he says, repentance in a simple sentence is, repentance means you are no longer going your way, but you are going God's way. And therefore, repentance is not a once-off event. In his book, Spirit of the Disciplines, he writes this, repentance is an ongoing spiritual discipline by which we continually turn from everything that opposes the love of God and neighbor it is not a once-off act. And it is not a matter of merely feeling sorry for your sins. It is a lifelong process of conversion that involves the transformation of your whole being. It is not just your Sunday being, your praise and worship being. It is your being when everything is going badly, when you experience God's peace and you encounter the love of Jesus. Now, a couple of weeks ago, the transformation of my whole being got stuck. If you had come down our road at 7 a.m. in the morning, you would have seen parts of my being very untransformed. It involved a large tree on the side of our verge, probably about 100 years old, being cut down, and it was not requested by me. I love trees, I love everything green. And there I was in my pajamas at 7 a.m. doing my very best to interrupt the process with the noise of chainsaws 
drowning out my desperate pleas. I was most untransformed in that moment. Not queen-like at all in my behavior. And all grace was left in my bedroom along with my unfinished cup of coffee as I marched onto that verge to go my own way. It would have been good of me to remember in that moment Titus chapter two, and it says this. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. I could have used an encounter of grace that morning and so could the tree fellers. You see, we are justified, fully made clean with new hearts. We are new creations and we still have to work out saying no to ungodliness. How do we do that? I know that the more I know who Jesus is, the more I experience his presence, the more grace I experience from Jesus, the more I am able to say no on going my own way. But clearly, it does not involve trees yet. So this psalm is a beautiful moment where God interrupted David's process and he stopped going his own way and he chose God's way in his whole being and he changed his ending. This morning, I'm going to use three very simple questions that people often ask regarding change, growth, and, and transformation, and particularly regarding changing your endings. And as a disclaimer, although these are very simple questions, they do not have simple answers. And so I'm gonna answer them by just telling you some stories that I have permission to share. The first question is, can people change? The next one is, if they can, how does change occur? And the third one that I'm sure you'll all be glued at is how can I change him or her or all of them? A few years ago, a young woman arrived for her first counseling session. As I watched her tell her story, I was deeply moved by her emotion. She described her continual conflicting relationship with her husband and the subsequent loneliness that it brought on. She touched on some of the dynamics from her traumatic childhood and how she had made some very bad choices in her adult life as a result of it. She was feeling intense pain and her state of frustration reminded me of a quote by a very controversial author and it says this, the day came when the risk to remain in a tight bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. This girl had reached the place that many people come to and she was desperate for the kind of relief that any type of change will bring. You see, sometimes staying the same is more painful than changing. As she sat on the couch opposite me with tears welling up in her eyes, she asked me the question that has been wildly debated and explored in psychology. Do you really think people can change. Do you really think I can change? Now her question indicates the skepticism that many people have regarding the possibility and the probability of change. Look at this meme that I found on the internet. Always remember it says, a leopard can't change its spots. 
What absolute nonsense. The problem is that this view causes a great deal of hopelessness. Marriages end because of this view. People keep drinking because of these, this view. People get stuck in their addictions because of this view. This view is not a biblical view. Now, Stanford psychologist Carol Dweck describes that there are two mindsets when it comes to growth and change, and that our mindsets can affect every area of our lives. The first one is what she calls a fixed mindset. This is the belief that our qualities, our abilities, and our intelligence are predetermined and cannot be changed. A fixed mindset can develop from our childhood experiences, cultural factors, or even past failures. This mindset can cause resistance to change. The second one is what she calls a growth mindset. This is the belief that our qualities, abilities, and intelligence can be developed and improved. It is characterized by a focus on effort, a willingness to take risks, try new things, and a belief in perseverance and determination. The Bible speaks a lot about perseverance. This mindset is often associated with increased motivation, higher achievement, greater resilience in adversity. When I was 21 years old, I spent some time in an elementary school in Tennessee. I was doing a teaching prac in a classroom of fifth graders. They changed my life. The teacher of the classroom decided that she needed a match, she, had a, she needed a break, and so she left the classroom and spent the whole time that I was in the classroom in the teacher's lounge, which gave me full reign. Not wise, probably, for a 21-year-old. I was young and incredibly idealistic, and I believed that I could change the world. I'm old, idealistic, and I believe that God will change the world. I noticed quite soon that one of my children had been receiving failing grades in most of his subjects for several years. I spent some time with him, chatted to him about his feelings, towards school, about his grades, and about the rest of his life. Now many people look at children who are underperforming and they decide that they are lazy or not clever enough to succeed at school and many people have a fixed mindset, specifically when it comes to education and academic success. He told me that he'd never been good at school, <clears throat> and neither was anyone in his family. He said that he was stupid, especially at mathematics, and didn't really see any point in doing anything about it. You see, a fixed mindset often results from failure, family scripts, or just been told enough times that you can't do something. I asked him if he would give me a chance to maybe prove that he wasn't that stupid. Maybe he had a learning gap somewhere, and maybe he just needed to start believing that he could do something. And so we started meeting at break times, and I started bringing snacks, as I found that that was a very powerful motivation for a fifth grade boy. Within a week, we started seeing some improvements. And by the end of that term, he had raised his average grade to a C, even in mathematics. But what was more important, and he didn't know it, is that he had changed his fixed mindset to a growth mindset. 
and this child started to set dreams for his future. Before I left that school, I went to his home, I got permission, and I met with his mom to make sure that she knew how incredibly capable her son was. People get stuck, not because they are lazy or incapable, but often because no one believes in them. We have a room full of people that can make a difference in someone's life just because you believe in them and you start speaking positive words over them. Sometimes it just takes one person to give attention to the possibility of change. So tool number one, because my husband always says, give me tools. Adopting a growth mindset is the key to changing our endings. And with this, Carol Dweck explains, it's helpful to add the word yet to any thought that has I can't. I can't do that yet. So the answer to the first question, can people change? Absolutely yes. Change is not only possible, but it is 100% probable and the most natural outcome for a child of God. God desires us to become more like Him and we are created with an inherent capacity for change, for growth, and for transformation. And I have seen radical transformations of people who have embraced the love of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, and taken responsibility of their need to change, and I have seen God change their endings. And that young girl in my office that day is just one of the many. So if people can change, how on earth does change occur? A number of years ago, I did a workshop based on a book called Henry Cloud and John Townsend called Changes That Heal. And it was at a church very far from Durban. Months later, one of the participants contacted me and he asked me to set up an appointment. He explained that he had attended the course and apologized for not introducing himself. He wanted to remain anonymous due to his position of standing in the community. During our first session, he disclosed that he had struggled with a sexual addiction from his teens. And at this point in his life, every couple of months, he would solicit the services of prostitutes. Now, I want to make sure that you have an accurate picture of this man. The man that sat in front of me was a good man with a broken and contrite spirit. He despised his behavior and he had begun to despise himself. He was well respected in the community, well loved, and there was a large chunk of his life that was hidden in the dark, unexposed. And when there's darkness, things grow. And each time he would succumb and do the things that he said he would not do, he would decide that it would never happen again. He would make a pact with himself, consumed with guilt, shame, fear of being caught, fear of being exposed, exposed, and he would say, this time will be my last time. And yet every couple of months, he would find himself stuck in the same cycle. At the end of our work together, he gave me permission to share aspects of his inspiring story. He wanted people to know 
that it is possible to change, that no matter where you are in your life and what you are doing, you can change your ending. You see, you can't go back to the beginning and change your, you can't go back and change your beginning, but you can start where you are and allow God to change your ending. And he is just one of the many people I know that was able to do this. I work with heroes and heroines who are brave enough to confront the brutal truths about themselves. With great risk and vulnerability, they allow me into their hidden spaces. And many of them embark on this courageous journey of change because the risk of remaining in a tight bed is more painful than the risk it takes to blossom. And there are speed bumps and roadblocks, detours and many disappointments along the way. And his journey was not an easy one. He spent many hours digging up the roots of his pain and trauma and working through the mark that Shem had made. I wish I could say that his healing is instant and I do believe that healings are instant. This was his experience. He raised his level of self-awareness and he began to identify the complexities of his thought life and his triggers, understand the information that his feelings gave him about himself and he began to work on what we call agency and autonomous behavior. And he learned to walk in step with the Spirit. And as I watched him encounter the love of Jesus and accept God's forgiveness, I had the privilege of watching his transformation that occurred with raw and humble repentance. And his repentance was not once off, it was ongoing because I watched him change his mind about who he was and who his Jesus was. I watched him battle with forgiving himself. And for many months, he made small steps and some giant leaps. He did the hard work that change requires, and it was a redemptive work of personal transformation that occurred in the sweet spot of taking responsibility for his life getting real and honest, coming out of hiding and encountering God's mercy, unfailing love, and great compassion. Now, I wish that I could say that there is a magic formula and five easy steps for transformation, because then I would write a book on it. The thing is that people are beautifully idiosyncratic and remarkably unique. Each one of you has different DNA. You have different past experiences. You have different cultural influences and personalities. And because of that, it makes the way we change, what makes us change, and how we might resist change rather idiosyncratic. So how do people change? There's no one-size-fits-all formula. But what we do know is the Bible makes it clear that transformational change is not only possible, but it is most highly probable and the most natural outcome of a relationship with Jesus. I believe that it starts with an encounter with Jesus, his unconditional love and his forgiveness. It continues with repentance and changing our minds on who we are and who God is 
while experiencing the grace of Jesus. It's fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit, led by the Spirit as we learn to keep in step with Him like a delicate dance and we allow Him to lead. And so tool number two, I pray for an encounter for you with the love of Jesus, that you will experience His unfailing love, His great mercy, and His compassion. And I pray that today will be your day. Question number three, how can I change him or her or them? The bad news is you can't. William Glasser, an American psychiatrist, the creator of choice theory and reality therapy sums it up like this. The only person you can control is yourself and even that is difficult. I love Danny Silk's honesty on this. He says on a good day, the only person I can control is myself. On a great day, I can influence myself, but on most days, if I'm honest, I'm just hoping not to lose control of myself. <laughs> the thing that I have learned is that no one changes with rejection or judgment. People are more likely to change in an atmosphere of love and acceptance. And as we look at David's pray in Psalm 51, we see that as a man after God's own heart, he even recognized the limits of changing himself. And he wrote this, create in me a pure heart. Your pure heart comes from Jesus. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. If you want to live a sustainable change of changing your ending, you need to surrender to Jesus and allow His Holy Spirit to fill you and encounter His incredible love. So tool number three, in the context of this passage, recognize that as helpful as willpower is, because God gave it to us, God is actually the source of a willing, steadfast spirit. And so, to end the words from my client, it is possible to change. And that no matter where you are in your life, no matter what you are doing, God can change your ending. Please stand with me as we pray. Lord, we pray for more of you. Jesus, come. Father, I pray for encounters of your unfailing love, your grace and your mercy. Deposit a touch of heaven on us. Holy Spirit, fill us, we need more of you. I sense this morning that there are people that need to take some time and talk to Jesus. You need to expose to Him that thing that you have kept hidden. You are filled with shame. Your sin has been before you and you need to experience the forgiveness of God. I pray that nobody leaves here today without having a conversation with Jesus. 
Father, we pray that your forgiveness will be tangible as we choose to change our minds about who we are. And Father, I declare that this is a room full of new hearts and new spirits that will live in your identity and that our endings will be changed every single day into being more like you. If you need prayer this morning or want to come forward, please do. If you wanna come and kneel at the front and just spend some time with Jesus, please do. Remember, you don't need to confess your sin to another person for God to forgive it. You are already forgiven with his blood on the cross. You need to accept that. Things that you have thought that God held against you, that you have thought that the trajectory of your life has been determined by that one thing that you did when you were a young girl or a young man or an adult man, that is not true over you. God loves you and He sees you as completely spotless and blameless in His sight. The death on the cross took on that thing that you hold against you. And I'm encouraging you this morning just to let it go and receive the fullness of the removal of shame, the removal of guilt, and accept your new identity in Jesus. Father, we thank you. We thank you for what you've done. And all we are left to do is just celebrate the victory that we have. Father, I thank you that this week will not be going back to the old ways, but this will be kept front of mind that you will renew our minds so that our behavior steps in line with who we really are. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.